At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright and today's guest is a, a Biffa Discovery Award winner for his film Another Life and the film we're going to talk about, Eaten by Lions, uh, won the Audience Award at the London Indian Film Festival and the Best Comedy Feature at the Prague Film Awards. Welcome to the podcast, Jason Wingard. Hi, how are you doing, Stuart? I'm doing very well, I'm doing very well. This has been um, a hell of a lead time. I think I think uh, I originally spoke to you uh, just before, when you were still waiting on whether or not you'd even get um, Another Life selected. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've got a pal in common, haven't we? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you still, do you still play? Uh, does he still play football? I don't play. I mean, I play. Actually, I play a little. Started playing a little bit of five aside just to. <laughs> it was a shock to the system. But I'm like forty eight now, and you start to slow down, don't you? You know, kind of yeah, all the yeah, joints. Yeah, yeah, Keith. <laughs> so I'm like the, like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz these days. So, well, mine's um, mine's been neat. I can't run more than twenty yards and then turn, and that's it. That's me for a little. But, yeah. But I think I mentioned to him kind of, a, and he told me about you and he kind of uh, the podcast that you were doing. So he said that he'd put us in touch. And I think at the time I was just they were these uh, these films had not been shot, and I was just they were just ideas, and I was trying to get them off the ground. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, and here we are, sort of eighteen months, two years later, we're on the podcast. You'd be glad to know that's not the longest lead time for a guest. <laughs> um, I've had I had someone who I met who came on the podcast in August last year. Who, right. who we first discussed coming on seven years earlier at Cannes. All right, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so I got on relatively quickly then. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done, you've done relatively well. Um, so um, let's um, let's let's jump in, and because well, the film we the, the film we're going to focus on is uh, Eaten by Lions, which uh, yeah. comes out twenty ninth of March. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I got the, the, the development money for Eaten by Lions. I think it was around about 2016. Okay. I'd read, and I'd read a stat somewhere that, you know, said that um, British directors only ever make one feature film. So I, I kind of thought it made me determined to make two. So <laughs> while we had some contractual issues with Eaten by Lions, I went and made another feature, and that was in, in Another Life. Oh, right. um, okay. 
So that's kind of like, you know, it was it was kind of partially what a burning desire to be in the 5% of people who've made more than one feature film, basically. Well, I'm, um, I'm still, I'm 47, still waiting for a script that I've written to be made into a feature film. But I still, I still give myself some, some comfort that apparently just by getting to the end of a screenplay, you move into the top 70% of screenplay writers who got to the end well, of a script. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, actually, that's another that's another <laughs> good point. Actually, <laughs> finishing a project. There's so many people who have told you know. If you speak to people, there's so many people that I spoke to who were talking about and had projects on the go, and it's so difficult to get someone away. The main thing is funding, and and actually, in a in a way, I've kind of made it my business to understand not just you know how to direct and kind of get a feature film away, but almost the kind of from a producer's angle, how you raise finance, how you raise capital, how you make it work. And um, so, on, particularly on In Another Life, I was a producer on that particular project. Mm. I did raise the money for it. And it's really handy, I think, to have an empathy with other people's roles, I think, you know. Well, also, um, I mean, yeah, because obviously as a creator, you know, to give it to give it some grand, grandeur, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't do you any harm to understand why someone would give you money in the first place because obviously nobody's nobody's literally giving money away they have reasons don't they so understanding well, yeah, they an investor's money themselves be, yeah you know they they want to make something themselves and that's the only reason you're ever going to get anything um but there's other people there's interesting people doing interesting things at the moment you know jim cummings who um can't remember the film he made it was a, a film in a, a america it's it won at sundance it was a short film and he's just made his feature film. It's all based around us, like a Bruce Springsteen song at a wedding, at a funeral. Okay. Um, and he's made it and sh- shared the points for it, and now he's distributed it all on his own. You know, I think it's kind of like I, I think you will see more and more people making their own stuff and just dis- self-distributing as well. That, well, that's, that's a pattern on that's certainly a pattern of notes on the podcast. But uh, very quickly, give us a brief synopsis of Eaten by Lions. Uh, Eaten by Lions is a road trip movie. It's a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's about two um, young boys. One of them's half Pakistani. One of them's got a disability and he's white. Mm-hmm. They've been raised by their gran because their parents died when they were young. Um, and when uh, their gran dies, they go looking for Omar's Pakistani father. And that's that's the premise of the film. Brilliant. Now, before so we it, get into details on that, just just because because of the way you've told me the lineage. So while you were in development for that, you went off and made In Another Life. Now, as contrast for the listeners' benefit, do you want to give a synopsis as to what that is? Well, In Another Life is a um, a, a narrative feature film that we set in the Calais jungle, which we took uh, two actors into the Calais jungle and and wrote this kind of semi-improvised story using real refugees as actors and mixing them with um, with with the people that we know that we'd brought over. Mm. And then we built a set in on an anti-fracking camp in Warrington and finished the film over here as well. Wow. So it was kind of a very much a guerrilla, low-budget drama. Mm. Um, and it was me really trying to understand what was going on 
inside the refugee camp. I was going to say, that was something the listeners wasn't listening to us while we were talking off record, like, but you mentioned yeah. that one of the reasons for doing that film was that you were interested to learn more about it, and obviously making a film is a, is a good route in to try and make inquiries. So, what, what, Also give people a voice as well, you know, kind of that I didn't think was being heard. You yeah. hear a lot of things... You know, where you've got, uh, you know, lots of people that were were being talked about in the press didn't have a a voice of their own. They couldn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, and particularly it's how they're being represented, I thought was a little bit scandalous, and it still is, and it has ramifications, which we've only, you know, we've seen this week, you know, this the ramifications of things like that. Yeah, no, totally, uh, totally. So where can, where can, pe- is, is in, in Another Life, is that available to watch anywhere now? It's not. We're still we've we've got it now with an aggregator kind of like so it did really well on the festival circuit mm. and uh, we won best UK feature at Raindance, then won a a, a Biffa Discovery Award, mm. and so it it did well and then we couldn't find a platform for it and we're still trying to find something. We will <laughs> get it out and available at some point. Yeah. Uh, and so we do, I've just we're just in the middle of negotiating with an aggregator to get it online somewhere. We had some offers, but there's no point in getting it out somewhere that it's not going to be seen. We want the film to be seen, you know. Of course, of course. Well, look, that's that's your first film, and and that's well, maybe when that gets its release date, we'll go into more detail on that. But we're here to talk about Eaten by Lions, and yeah. you as the co-writer and director. Let's start with the writing first. Okay. Um, you, you, you've mentioned there that the development started in 2016. So, at what stage was it at there? Was it a, a, a log line, one sheet, a rough draft, it's, an it's, idea? It's, a, it's been a longer process actually. What we did because I, I won um, Virgin Media Shorts in 2011, and the prize money was 30 grand, which is great for a short film competition. Bloody hell, yeah. So. Uh, and also it was kind of right, I, you know, I knew I was starting this late. I was in, I was just turned 40. I was like, okay, I've got to get, if I'm going to get the attention of the BFI or someone, I've got to win a competition like this. So I targeted it a year before. We won the competition. We got to make a short film with the BFI and the person in charge then was Chris Collins, who sadly passed away. Hmm. But he's a really good guy. And he was like going, okay. Uh, he liked this script we had uh, that we put into eye features right. called Going to Mecca, which was a, basically this road trip movie. Uh, and then we did a short film with a like, then 14-year-old, 13-year-old Jack Carroll, who was on Britain's Got Talent, mm-hmm. come second the week before we started filming. And so we did this short film with him. Everyone got on and we said, OK, this is great. Let's put it in. Make, we'll make this into a feature film. But the, by this point, it was 2013, 2014. Um, and the development stalled. Creative England came in. We were working with Emu Films, who were based out of Manchester and, and, um, and London. And they've made things like Catch Me Daddy and The Goob and various other thing, projects. Uh, Jawbone, I think, is uh, probably a bit of bigger film as well that they made. And uh, we'd known those guys. We were kind of trying to work with them. And I was working with um, uh, the line producer was Hannah Stevenson on the short films. And we tried to push things forward. Creative England came in and they said, no, we don't see any scope for this. So it kind of died, um, you, you know, at that stage. There was no it wasn't going any further. And uh, then someone came in and said, "Oh, we'll 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 raise the capital for it, and we'll r- do it do it on our own, basically." So that led us down a different direction. We kind of like started to try and raise finance 
ourselves for the feature film. So it had been in development for, <laughs> since 2012, essentially. And uh, that's the way that that's the way that I think with lots of films, they you hit stumbling blocks and then people drop away and then people come on board. And and, you know, this was one of those films that just almost never seemed to. Well, to okay, die. OK, so that's that's the kind of the machinations are getting it made. But what where was the con, where was the idea conceived or what what, what where did the insp- inspiration come from for what became Eaten by Lions as an idea? Um, well, essentially, it came from like me and David Isaac, who's a, uh, a co-writer, who's who is a writer on Coronation Street at the moment. Right. And um, me and David had written a load of taxi driver shorts, which ironically may end up on Radio Four soon. Really? Um, well, good fingers crossed. So, yeah, yeah, kind of like so. We it's and it's a, a project that we'd had going. I started doing some stuff with a comedian friend of mine called Tony Burgess mm-hmm. probably 20 years ago. I remember, then, Tony, I remember Tony on the circuit. Yeah, so Tony Burgess is a mate of mine, and, and we he, he wrote some jokes for me. Then there was another comedian called Peter Slater and Irfan Nazir, who's a friend of mine, and we went out and started shooting these shorts, and we won, like, student film festivals with them. And this is where the ideas came from, essentially. Then David started working with me on some taxi driver shorts in about 2008, 2009. And we had Johnny Vegas and a few other people in these shorts. And they were funded by Two Entertain. We got 20 grand. It was our first commission. So we were kind of like really chuffed with that. And I think that this idea of this kind of... Then the, I suppose it's, it was... You know, uh, the, the ta- these taxi drivers were one white, one Caucasian, one Asian, and it was the two of them sharing a cab, essentially. Mm. And I think it came from there. The idea was that, but then we just moved them and the, the two, the, these two people became young kids, 13, 14 years old. And that was where the idea really came from. It's, uh, and then when we, it, it, then we put, David put together something for eye features. And he cobbled together a producing, a, a writer, directing team, and that was uh, that we put in. It wasn't right. There wasn't a the right chemistry between everybody, but uh, it was the you know that's got the the the, the show on the road. How do you and David um, sort of approach the writing? Because obviously it's 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 sort of easier to be in control of that on your own. You know, you get up, you get in front of a computer or get your index cards out and you write it, but. The minute you start collaborating with other people, you've either got to share responsibility or someone's got to take responsibility for certain aspects of, of creating the screenplay. And, and with, with the short format, you've kind of, you know, in a way, especially if you're doing comedy, you've kind of got the idea of writing something which is a kind of set up and payoff, isn't it? Set up and payoff is the kind of, but a, but a feature film is much, is much broader than that, isn't it? As a structure, you've kind of, yeah. So how do you, how do you and David make it work to sort of build a screenplay together for a feature film? It's always been quite easy, our, our particular writing relationship. You yeah. know, I think, I think if, if you're going to write with somebody, first of all, you can't be precious, can you? You know, that's the first thing. <laughs> yeah, You've true. got to be able to kind of go, okay, you know, any of that, the ideas can go in or go, go. And you've also got to pick your battles. If you want to, you know, you, if you're going to battle over every single thing, then the, 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 it's never going to work between you. So we, we would ping pong the 
the script about. Or he'd say to me, why don't you write that scene? I'll write this scene. So we'd beat out a story. We'd kind of go, okay, we know that this is going to happen. Why don't you have a go at that scene? I'll have a go at this scene. And then we'll swap them over. And then we'll work on them from there. He's particularly good with dialogue, I think, David. And then by the end of the script, particularly with a comedy script, you can't remember who's written what by the end of it. <laughs> what, yeah. was, what particularly were the kind of... For, for... For a story that involves a sort of uh, pa- Pakistani lad's search for his dad, yeah, um, with um, with people from other cultures mi- mixed mixed up with in the story. What for you were the were the, were the storytelling challenges pulling that all together? Because you've got the you've got the cultural references, but you've got the narrative, you've got yeah. a sense of place. Well, I got challenged on it actually. By uh, there was an Asian a director that I know, and he was saying you shouldn't be writing this story. And I was like, well, does that mean that you can't write any white roles? <laughs> you know? Right. I was, like, I was going, look, you know, this is uh, what we did for this particular film mm. was uh, going. We we approached it in a way that the the, the characters weren't going to be defined by their culture, if you like. Mm. Uh, we wanted the people to kind of like have their own lives, and that. We were hoping, the same with Jack and his disability, we weren't going to write loads of gags about uh, him being disabled because you can see it. Mm. It's on screen. Uh, the same with the Asian characters. We weren't we were going to do a, a little bit of that, but not, you know, it wasn't going to be central to the character, if you like. Yeah. And they found a, like, a couple of ground rules and they helped us with that particular hurdle, I suppose, or obstacle uh, when we were writing. So you're just going, we're writing people, this is about people. And, you know, so. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we de- dealt with it. But also, we wanted to represent people that we knew. You kind of like sometimes you were watching stuff on TV or in on, in cinema, and and it felt very much like stereotypes in mm. a way. And we kind of like it's you know we wanted to to avoid that to a certain extent. So um, taking that forward um, into production, now you mentioned Road to Mecca as being an early iteration. Obviously, yeah. we're going to Blackpool in this one. Um, yeah. What was the <laughs> where that that kind of idea of was it was it literally going to Mecca or was that a title that that included going well, to Blackpool uh, well, anyway? Originally it was uh, originally the first very first version was a, a road trip to Mecca. Blimey. Uh, and then you kind of you know you start to speak to. Producers, <laughs> get realistic. Then David said, "Well, we'll set it in Hull," and I was like, "Going, well, you're not thinking very visually here. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you see. You know, so we, we, I was going maybe Blackpool. Blackpool's good for low budget stuff. I mean, you know, you've got if you're working. I mean, this is a similar thing with locations. I think if you're making something on a budget, make sure you've got a location that's going to look visually rich. Mm. And I think that we, I did an anti-fracking documentary. Yeah. And uh, while we were on the uh, Barton Moss, and some, there was like, I don't know, 300 people there, loads of tents set up, lots of temporary, you know, they were trying to stop the fracking there. And whilst we were learning about fracking and the issues surrounding it, a friend of mine, a cameraman, said to me, how much do you think it would be to build this as a set? And it's always stuck in my mind. And so when I saw that, you know, this that what was going on with Calais, I think there was something that triggered and went, oh, actually, this is going to be interesting on camera. You know what I mean? Uh, it was driven by a cinematic drive as much as it was kind of like a empathy for the situation. 
Well, not to be too trite about it. I remember there's the, the classic story from Roger Corman where he would yeah. he would follow productions onto their lot before they destroyed yeah. before they rebuilt the the, the the set for the next film, and he'd right. ring up the, he'd ring up his screenplay writer for uh, for hire and say, right, we've got a submarine, a courtroom, and a castle forecourt. Write me a script. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. I mean, kind of like you know, I'd do that again without a doubt. If there was a, if there was, you know, I'd be if I was in France now, I'd be amongst the yellow jackets and making a guerrilla feature film in there, and go getting something that was, um, you know. So there's, there's, I think you've got to be, you've got to make your locations work for you. I suppose is the original point, isn't it? I thought the Blackpool was going to work for us a little, lot well, less. Well, give, give us, a, give us a little, a little sneak preview then. So, as someone that's been to Blackpool a number of times, as, yeah. as a kid, I've got that that nostalgic view of it, and as an older kid, I've got the drunk view of it. Um, yes. So, what what did well, you and Matt North, your cinematographer, what what are you particularly proud of in terms of how you've managed to represent something? I guess it's iconic in seaside terms for Britain. I mean, listeners outside the country might not might not perceive or know Blackpool, but obviously it's a very much a kind of cartoony seaside town in Britain in the in the classic classic um, sort of sense of it. You know, it's very much a, a, a place from a time before, as opposed to a, yeah. So, what did you what did you and Matt North do from a cinema top cinema? Cinematic. Yeah, cinematography, the point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we knew that we wanted to make it look cinematic. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't... I mean, we spoke to Blackpool Council quite a lot about it, and they were very worried. They just had this documentary done there, which was kind of like a warts and all, you know, stag do's, women in, in short skirts throwing up over walls and yeah. various other things. They did not want that image of Blackpool, but it was never in our intention. We wanted to show this from a, a child's eye, in a way, the way mm-hmm. that I remembered it in a nostalgic point of view. Yeah. So, so kind of a, it was going to be rich and glossy and bright and and all the things that Blackpool is. It's garish, but, you know, at the same time, it's quite a beautiful place as well. We had some interesting conversations with them. They're so controlling there on on, on what the, they, you know you can and can't do. And then the, the peers are owned privately. We had an hilarious conversation because at one point I wanted to have Frankie Boyle in the film and he mm. was going to steal a David Cameron waxwork and try and get a pig to, to shag the head <laughs> as a revenge. <laughs> and, uh, and we asked Madame Tussauds, you know, the, 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 if we could use it, and they were so absolutely adamant that we could not have, you know, anything or anyone political. So then I was going, what about a Donald Trump? And they were going, no, we can't have that. You know, you're not allowed to do it. And Hannah came over to me and she whispered in my ear and she said, look, they're getting really tetchy here. Um, you know, they don't ask for anything else. And <laughs> I couldn't resist keep pushing it further. But I was like, surely you've got a Jimmy Savile in the cellar. <laughs> so, Alvin, it's interesting, just in a general point. So, how much, at what part in the process is this conversation happening with the Blackpool Council? Is that is that an ongoing conversation as you're making the film, or is this a, a pre-production going well, around Blackpool? Is, is you know we kind of we shot the short there, but yeah. obviously want to nego- ne- negotiate, and we're only a low budget film. Yeah, and I think they started to stick the price up ridiculously, you know. So in the end, we went and shot quite a lot of it off the pier, and uh, in Blackpool, and shot on Liv and St Anne's instead, uh, where they were kind of 
are just look, you know, really accommodating and lovely, really. Mm. You know, you got certain ideas that you get so far, you have a conversation with people and they can push you so far on their demands financially. But if they're going to be absolute, you know, unrealistic and unsympathetic to what your needs are, then, you know, find a different solution, I think. Um, and so to a certain extent, we got a lot of support in Blackpool and then to a certain extent, we didn't. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so what? So, so give me, give me, give me, give me an image of Blackpool that you've managed to create in the film that you're like you're proud of from a cine, cinematic point of view, as opposed to. Um... Well, there's a beautiful scene actually. It's not Blackpool, but Blackpool's in the background, and, mm. and it's uh, Livam St Anne's Beach, and we've got a. That's as good yeah, as Blackpool for me. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got a custard yellow Rolls Royce going down the beach in uh, and uh, at the you know golden hour. Sun's going down. It's beautiful. It's absolutely, and we've got it on the. We were tracking it with a drone and various other things. And uh, if the 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 girl, the, the lead actress or one of the actresses was in makeup for so long that uh, I ended up putting her coat on and driving it in a wig. Um, so if you're eagle-eyed, you'll see that it's actually me driving that Rolls Royce. <laughs> So, yeah, well, talk me through that experience then, because obviously you, you, the golden hour would be an important thing and everyone's going, look at the light, look at the light. Where is she? Where is she? Look at the light. Talk us yeah. through that, that, and th then when suddenly, right, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Well, yeah, you got to get, you know, this is the thing that happens all the time. I think mm. that when you're making films, and also I'm used to making films and improvising because of my background. Mm. And so I think that, on low budget films, you can't let anything derail it, and you certainly got you never got enough time. Hmm. You've got to fig find out, figure out, you know, figure out can you get away? What can you get away with? What are we going to see here? What you know? Can can we get away with somebody just driving this car? Do we have to wait for the lead actress? Obviously, you need her for a close up. So you don't need her for anything else. Hmm. But that's no different than anything. If you you look at a, a, I saw a breakdown of Raiders of the Lost Ark recently in an action sequence, and Harrison Ford probably was in about three shots. You know what I mean? <laughs> Realistically, I, yeah. I, been, I was an extra on Tarzan, the Warner Brothers movie, and right. Christoph Waltz and Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Same same thing. I, I, I saw their standing double on set yeah. all the time. Well, look, I, I, someone, a director told me about this uh, Wesley Snipes, and he, he only comes in for his, his close-ups, and yeah. then he goes. Got, you've got Dwayne for the rest of the day. Basically, yeah, because it was anything beyond a mid-shot, it was the standing. And I was like, it was it was a big lesson for me. that I've, I've, never, I've obviously never been on a big film set before, so it was like seeing that happen, whereby the star of the film, because you were all kind of warned, you know, don't get... Don't get too sort of starstruck if you see someone. You're thinking, never freaking saw them. <laughs> you saw Dwayne a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, talking of stars, obviously there's some recognisable faces in Eaten by Lions. There's uh, Nitin Ganatra, who yeah. uh, I guess EastEnders will be what people are most known from, but obviously he's been in a, in a, in a number of films. You've got Johnny Vegas, you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Kevin Eldon, you've mentioned Jack uh, Jack Carroll. Um, so, Asin Chowdhury. Asin Chowdhury, so... How do you, where, where did, I mean, you mentioned Johnny Vegas was in your short, so I'm guessing you've got a relationship there already. Um, yeah. Um, what about someone like, say, um, like, like, like Knitting then? What was, what was the uh, casting there? Well, we actually cast Knitting. Knitting came in for the casting. Yeah. And uh, he came in, he did a great reading, and uh, 
he he we improvised quite a lot in the the reader and so and i liked uh, he had a really good energy it was kind mm. of like there was between him and an, another actor that i, I, I liked but he, he the other actor would have given it a very much a very a very much mancunian feel and this team was was great mm. uh a lot of fun to work with very keen as well you know kind of like to to get involved he, he he had some ideas actually and if i had a bit more time i would have kind of developed them and got him in, in the film a little bit more than, than than we did but i had a lot of fun with knitting actually i thought he was really good to work with but obviously Aston Chowdhury is your uh, is your kind of main man as it were yeah uh, well, i think it was kind of like we we had him in mind for him for this role for yeah. for quite a while so we'd seen him in People Just Do Nothing and we thought he was great. We thought he'd be ideal for this kind of like adult man-child character. Mm. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was, but then again, we were kind of like, we were discussing quite a few people for, the, for, for that role as well. Um, and Asim's got his own thing as well. He's kind of like, he's very much, you know, flavor of the month, isn't he, at the moment? He's mm. kind of like, he's a very funny, naturally gifted uh, character. Johnny Vegas is unbelievable to work with. I loved working with Johnny, and such a warm and lovely person as well, mm. you know. And which makes it really easy for. And everybody loves Johnny, you know what I mean? <laughs> the whole set go away thinking, "What if you know this? He, he's a he's special to hang around with." <laughs> well, no, it's, in, it's interesting to say that because it, it comes up more and more about about certain people. You're seeing a lot of stuff where you yeah. can, where people's responses that. It's great having. It's, obviously, they're talented. That's that goes without saying. But yeah. the main thing people sort of come away with is that it's it's just great having them there. You know, working with them is a joy. Yeah, he's you know he's such a he's just a nice bloke. He's a nice bloke. He's very bright. He's uh, uh and you know he's a lot of fun and and he's at ease with everybody on set. You know what I mean? So uh, that's. Uh, biggest compliment but why shouldn't you be you should be like that no 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 a friend of mine worked with um michael ironside on a film and he only had yeah. been for like a day or so or something just to you know get the name on the credits and everything but but he was saying that you know he's a man that's worked in genre for god what 40 years and yeah. he said there was no airs and graces about him he just was like it was brilliant you know he couldn't do enough for people that were like little bit fanboys and girls but also he mucked in and you're like that's but why he's he, worked for 40 years <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, but it's, it's a stressful environment, and you think about people coming in. It's almost like you know, we're all still like children, aren't we? You know, mm. I mean, people people reveal their insecurities in strange and mysterious and <laughs> various ways. Yeah. So uh, sometimes it's a stressful thing, and really, to be honest with you, when I'm working with a actor, I don't, I don't. As long as they do, they 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 kind of like give a good performance. I don't really mind what they're like. It's just a lot easier if if they're <laughs> like Johnny. <laughs> well, what's what's your approach generally if you're if you're coming cold to a to a new actor uh, that you've not worked with, say? Um, what's your general approach in terms of like? So you've got an idea of what their role is, and you've you, yeah. you know, you've you've had a hand in what's on the page in this instance. But obviously well, they, I mean, they've read the part, and obviously they've reacted to it both from a reading and from being cast, and then they've got their ideas. How do you marry up what you want and what they can give and what they want to give? Well, it's a, it's a collaboration to a certain extent, isn't it? You've mm. always got to take on board other people's ideas, and I you know, will always do that. 
But ultimately, you kind of like it's not their neck on the line if, if things don't work out. So you've got the ultimate decision, I think, as a director, mm. and they've got to understand that as well. Uh, so, but it's a conversation, isn't it, more than anything else? I've never had any really bad experiences mm. with with performers. You have little niggles here and there, but you know, I'm very much because I come from a football background. I'm very much like a fo- <laughs> you know, you have arguments on a field with people, yeah, and I get about them within two minutes. You realise that people go away <laughs> and take them to heart. You see them sat in a the corner there. So I suppose that kind of um, uh, understanding individuals is important, isn't it? And how people are going to respond to different things, really. And how, and how, how do you find that? I mean, that, that, that leads on nicely to the... Because I think one of the one of the challenging... One of the challenging things is one of the many challenging things, but but certainly one of the challenging things I always, I always sort of admire a director for is you've very much got to have an eye on the micro, which is the moment yeah. know, where the camera's getting set up and what we're going to do, but also... The macro, i.e., we're on day eight of twenty-five, or we're on day twenty-two of twenty-five, or you know, it's seven o'clock at night and the lights going. How yeah, do you, yeah, how do you keep your eye on the micro and the macro? How do you find that jumping between needing to attend to what's needed right now and keeping your mind clear on the on the overall aims and goals of the film? Well, first of all, I'm a new director, I suppose, in mm. that respect because I'm still learning how yeah. to do it, and sometimes you can lose your way. But I mean, whenever if I talk and I talk to students about things, if you're making even a short film or even a, a, a feature film, you can pretty much b- break down lots of feature films to, you know, a central theme, a core theme that's running all the way through it. Mm-hmm. And that's a reminder, I think, your anchor that, you know, of as to what this film is about. So when somebody's coming up to you and they're going, what colour hat should I wear? What's my motivation for in this seat? You've got that answer. You know, you have to have an answer for it. And your answer is usually going back to that, that theme, that central theme and that, that core feeling. So, you know, we knew that this was always going to be about family. And so if you ever get lost, you kind of go, you know, find something that centres it around that, around that. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's a strange animal. It's a bit like Chinese whispers making a feature film in a mm. way. You kind of like keep tapping someone on the shoulder and it always comes out slightly different than you imagined at the, at the, you know, the, the far end. Um, but keeping an eye out for those nuances and, and special moments in scenes, you know, that you've got to try and capture on camera. Yeah. Um, is, is vital you know for there's, there's an example actually in in another life where there's a scene where mima who was uh one of the refu- real refugees there uh, tells a story and starts breaking down about having to come over from the Medi- uh, the Medi- mediterranean to libya to italy and in the mediterranean sea his boat capsized and a woman gave him a baby as she was drowning and it's a heartbreaking heartbreaking story and it was real but he was sat opposite an actor, and the actor didn't realise that it was that he was telling him a real story. Uh, and and I, I've never wanted to kind of, as he was, you know, interjecting and breaking up Mima's story. And I knew that we were getting something special on camera mm. and a heartbreaking, you know, real real story. But the, the the actor was kind of trying to make it more of a scene, and he kind of didn't read it. I just wanted to reach over and grab his mouth. <laughs> 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 you know, but unfortunately, my arm would have been in shot. But I was sat there, you know, and you're going, you know, and you're watching it, and 
And, you know, the, everybody was filling up. Everyone, you know, I was tearful. And Mima was crying. And the actor was... But in the end, in the edit, we kind of cut all these interjections out. But, you know, uh, it's just one of those moments that sometimes you just capture something which is special and you know it's going to be special. And you know that this is going to transcend from the camera to the viewer as well. Mm. And they will sense that the, this, there's something about this story which is... As a, a truth to it, you know what I mean? And I think you're looking for those little moments of truth, aren't you, that that bring everybody together. There's all the, your favourite films, they have certain moments where you just go, wow, that's what a scene that was. And those actors who can, you know, if they can manage to to you know, bring a little bit of truth to the to uh, the ca- the camera, that's a special moment, I think. What would, you, well, in that, so that, that, that leads me to ask you, um, what, what if, if it doesn't spoil if it's not too much of a spoiler, what would be that moment for you in Eaten by Lions? We are actually, there was a scene that we did with Jack and Antonio and, um, and because they were the younger players, we could Mm. be a little bit tougher with them, you know? Yeah. So actually I had a a thing when I, if I was getting angry with them too, I I used to come in as, and pretend to be Ken Loach because he's so lovely. (laughs) Anything he says is, you know, is a, Sounds really nice. But we'd done like 20 takes and I couldn't understand why they weren't getting it. It didn't feel real, didn't feel real. And they, eventually they got wound up themselves. And uh, as they were arguing, I called action and they did the scene and they did it in one. And it had to be done in one. It's like a, a, a one of the two of them on the bed and they're arguing together and, they, you know, the camera's above them. Uh, but Jack, because of his disability as well, is kind of like sat in a really uncomfortable position for that whole scene. So, you know, but we we got it in the end. But And it's now it's a lovely scene, you know. Mm. Now, your lead, your leading man alongside Jack is uh, Antonio Akil. Yeah. Um, who, who I think, am I right in thinking that from from his role in your film or alongside being in your film, he's he was given his um, his sort of, Star of Tomorrow status by screen. Yeah, he's got his screen international star of tomorrow. He's done Tomb Raider as well, hasn't he? I think he's been popping up on lots of different things. You know, uh, he's uh, he's it, it was we we auditioned Antonio for quite a while. Yeah, and uh, and it was more about the chemistry between the two boys. So him I and mean, Jack. Yeah, yeah, and we knew that it was very important to try and get some, you know, we knew that the emotional weight of the film was going to come from Antonio Mm. uh, and that we were going to try and just let Jack riff a little bit, you know, and be be charming, funny. Uh, And so we knew that there was more pressure on this role. Um, But, yeah, Antonio was fantastic. He gave a great audition and... uh, yeah, we almost cast another girl in it, and he, the, the, their, their audition when they were together was fantastic. The two of them, right? Uh, and yeah, it, it, so it, it's, some, it's it's really interesting. Castings are great. If you're if there's actors out there who kind of like and they are going to castings, what they should do as well is actually just sit in for a day and and help out with casting to see the process. You know, because I always think it's, it's it's a fascinating thing. You sit there all day and then you know right away when somebody's come in and understood and got the script and, and understands the part. The, the, and, uh, you know, I think we had moments like that with Antonio. I mean, I've got kind of... scant experience, but the one that blew me away in, in my art was, was, was just the contrast of how people treated it. One person came in and they were basically asking all the time what to do. 
then it was yeah. almost by exact contrast, the next person that came into audition, it's only for a short film, they they had learned their lines, they just wafted in and they were ready and it was like you couldn't get a more chalk and cheese moment and I was like so inexperienced at the time and right. I was just wowed by the fact that said, like, fuck yeah, the person that's gone to all this trouble is the person you want on your film. <laughs> yeah, but Almost. it's the person, you, but, but also it's the person who brings them a bit of themselves I think mm. sometimes as well. You, you, or they seem to just understand what you're trying to do. I mean there was times for Parveen for example, we saw so many very similar reads for the for the role hmm. and it was kind of a little bit jessica rabbit the way that they'd done it and then the, a girl came in she's unknown and she's kind of like comes in natalie davis and she's from bradford and there's kind of just like this <laughs> something funny there's a crapness to the sexiness if you yeah. like you know and i just think this is going to be interesting with jack um with the two of them together so the, 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 and I think she just kind of understood that this is not to take this too seriously, not to try too hard with it. And yeah, you know, and I think that's, you know, it, it, it's, there's, it's really interesting watching it. I think if, if there's any actors out there, go in and go and you should what, you should go and get involved in auditions and helping, you know, audition people to see, you know, w- what it's like from the other side mm. and watching similar reads similar reads, similar reads, and why nothing, and then somebody comes in and just lights up the room, it's amazing. And, and I think it's it's not unfair to say, is it, that you want, that people casting want to find that person, they're not, no one's looking for the reason to say no, are they? It's just that no, the yes isn't were, always that obvious, is it? It's interesting as well, you, you, you pretty much know within the first 30 seconds of where this is going as well, mm. whether this is interesting, or whether it's going to make you sit up. Um, it's just, but you know, I, I don't envy people go having to go into that. But you're quite right. You know, you want people to succeed. You want a difficult decision. Um, and and of course, we're kind of like where we're at the moment. We're kind of like we're we're not at the point where we're doing a, a ten million pound feature and you've got the cream of the crop coming in and you've and there's twenty people who can play that part. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still very much where you kind of go in with working with unknown actors and people who are just on the up and some very good performers as well. Um, but, you know, actually, the, the, the thing is that you, you asked me a bit, a bit before about kind of like directing and the kind of like, mm. and um, I think you have to have a platform to fail. I thought that that's that idea that, you know, you only make one feature film and then that's it is a bit of a tragedy, really. How does anybody get better if they've only got one shot? At it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. a film, a film is, is obviously written and it's produced and then it's edited. Yeah. So yeah. when you, what was your relationship with Andrew McKee as your editor? Um, were you sat with him in the edit, or was 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 it was it left for him to edit, and then you know you work together, develop it from there? And also, what did you find in the edit that wasn't that wasn't that was a pleasant surprise, or that became a challenge in terms of what you perceived you'd got? Well, it's interesting because you kind of get the stuff back, the rushes back on you look on the bush, and you think, oh, this is great, that looks great, and then you get it back in the edit, and you're like, oh, <laughs> it it doesn't quite land. And you're trying to figure out why it's not landing, you know. Right. It's a, it's a strange, strange process. There are certain things in the room that we're working. This is with comedy. And it's a bit of a thankless task, actually, comedy. I, 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 I'm not sure whether I do 
fan of a one because you kind of got to do both things, haven't you? You've got to tell a narrative and also make people laugh, which is very subjective. So it's a it's a very very interesting process, and a lot of it is to do with the editing. Ed, Andrew had worked with me on the other film uh, in another life, so I had a really good re- relationship with him. Yeah, we spent a lot of time together in that particular edit, mm-hmm. and we did sit together on everything on this particular film as well. But it's it's a it's a, it's an interesting one with the comedy. Um, there were certain things that we didn't think were going to work that worked, and there were things that we you know. So we were just kind of experimenting all the way through. And this, people talk about it a lot, don't they, where um, the edit almost takes a life, you know, a, a life of its own in a way. You go and discover your film in that edit room. No, that's, that's the bit I want to get to. That's what I want to sort of let, let you sort of tell the audience is that, that is, there's one thing to write a script, but by the time you get into edit, you're you're creating new challenges, and new, but also new opportunities, aren't you, for, for what well, yeah, you can be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's lot, numerous, numerous. We had different cuts, and we start to cut it, and you, you know, you got to do a flabby first two hour cut, and then you're like, you're chopping away, and then you know, you're going, what do we need? And then you're realizing that this film becomes something different. You're going, this has got a different energy than I thought we had. You know, that I thought we were getting. It's a, it's a, a fascinating process. And one, a, a different energy than you intended to, to, to get. It's a strange, strange thing. Um, how do you, how did you get an insight from, from, obviously, having worked on two films with Andrew, do you get an insight into how someone with Andrew's skills keeps <laughs> keeps it fresh, as it were? You know, as in, like, keeps a fresh eye on how the, how the idea is developing into something that overall will work, you know, having watched it repeatedly. Well, we keep we kept bringing people in and see getting opinions, and you know, but that can be even more confusing because mm. people will find some one thing funny, and then another person will think that that's not working, and you know, uh, it's 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 very very difficult, and you do go a little bit insane with it, I think, after a certain amount of time, mm. and we as we were improvising as well during this film, I mean, so. That makes it even more difficult <laughs> to, to. Is that is that moving as well as as um, as talking? You were improvising. You were kind of like you were allowing the character to do the one. I asked that question because I remember interview, I interviewed Dominic Brunt um, yeah. about his film Bait, and he said yeah. because of the budget they were on, it said it said to the actors before they turned up on set even, um, look, you can improvise any lines you want, but I can't have you moving away from your blocks because where well, we're blocking you because we need to get the shots done because <laughs> of the time yeah. and the budget. But, but that's, a, that's a sense. I mean, and most of the time the kind of like the actors won't do that. And a lot of the people who were kind of like were, we were working with were comedians anyway. Okay. And so the way that it was framed, we framed it in very much in a way that it was very like a cent, center framed kind of Wes Anderson kind of shooting really. Hmm. So it was all quite square on. So people could improvise within that square, and if we were wide, it didn't really matter. Got so it. kind of yeah, the, we we'd normally do a few takes on on script. So we've got the script, and then we'd come off the script after that, and we'd go, okay, it's twenty seconds before, let's go, or it's twenty seconds after, carry on, and that's how you get your improvisation really. Um, and some people are brilliant at it. You know, Johnny Vegas obviously is fantastic at thinking on his feet. Mm. Uh, but then it's 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 weird, isn't it? Because you you I think as a director you may get these moments, but then 
you've got to keep a, a, an overview of the whole and how this improvisation affects the rest of his character further down the line. You know, that's mm. something that kind of like I, I think I'll get better at as time goes on. I don't think on this film, I think it ran off and then, you know, it's all got to connect with the the character, hasn't it? You know, I'm not, not so important, I suppose, on a, on a comedy film, but particularly with drama, if you're going to do it. Well, look, let's yeah. remind people then, um, when, when can they see Eaten by Lions? Uh, well, it comes out on what should have been Brexit Day, 29th of March. Thank goodness it's not, eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> and how yeah, can but, people see it on the 29th of March? Yeah, so yeah, so 29th of March is, um, yeah, so it's, uh, I think we're running 100 cinemas uh, UK-wide. Brilliant. So it's gone up various, various places. I think it's Showcase, Cineworld. The view, various other places. So, and it's up. Most major cities have got uh, screenings. I think there's three, three or four in Manchester that've got it. Mm. Trafford Centre and various other places. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah. Well, get down. Kind of like you know, and um, you know, obviously, it's very, it's a tricky time. I think for 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 cinema and, at, at the moment, a lot of people are kind of like going seeing stuff online, aren't they? It's tr- tricky to get people out. Be a shame if cinema died completely, though, wouldn't it? I don't think it will. No, I don't think it will. Actually, they still make so many films. Yeah, I. Th- I mean, we'll we'll talk about this off off the podcast because I think people need to hear yeah. my ruminations yeah. on uh, on where the, the future of cinema lies. Um, yeah. But um, just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast. Yeah. Cheers, Joe. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. 